Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. It's been said, and I believe it to be true, that hidden sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. You're not pulling anything over on God. We're not hiding it from God. With every, what we might call hidden sin, it might be hidden from other people, like right now, and, and I know I'm speaking to a few of you. I'm speaking to some that are on the radio right now, or maybe watching on television, or even here in our building that you believe that your sin is hidden. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. Because with your sin, even though we don't know, I can say this with absolute certainty, there's at least two people that know about your sin. You and God. This is amazing grace. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Join us as we study the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and learn of God's abounding grace. We all sin, and when we do, we have a choice to make. Will we come clean with God and others and turn away from the sin, or will we remain in sin, try to hide it, and pretend like everything is just fine. Let's consider that together as we look at the story of Judas and join Pastor Ed for today's message, A New Kind of Love. Judas is not, has no place with God here. He's not a real believer. He never was a real believer. And here the devil enters him and Jesus tells him, verse 27, what you're going to do, go do it quickly. In verse 28, no one at the table knew what reason he had said this to him. Now, Jesus just said, who's it going to be? Well, it's going to be the one I dip bread in, and I'm going to give it to him. And so what does he do? He dips bread, and he gives it to them. But when it all goes down, they still don't understand, verse 28. And I think verse 29 is a little bit of what you see in the body of Christ here, giving Judas the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to come to terms with what's going on here. And they give him a little benefit of the doubt where you know, Judas had the money box. So maybe Jesus said to him, buy the things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. But having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. These are the men that God's going to build the church on. These are the men that were trained by Jesus for three years. These are the men that have learned and grown and make mistakes. And even toward the last week of the life of Jesus Christ, they still don't get it. What is so plainly obvious is not obvious to them. And that should encourage you because aren't there times in our lives where things are so plainly obvious and we still don't get it? The Holy Spirit just being really patient with us to grow us and to help us see what we need to see when we can't see what everyone else sees. And that's what's happening here. Satan is working in the heart of Judas. The disciples don't see it. Even when it's revealed, they don't realize it. They don't have a perception of what's going on. And here Satan's activity is happening just like the weed and tares. He's acting and his activity is among believers. Even though they are the very foundations that God is going to build his church on, we find out they're still human. Their outward appearances so often throw us because that's what we pay attention to. You know, we look at the outward appearance, but God knows the heart. 
And one of the things we need to learn to do is not just be satisfied with outward appearances, whether it's in our own lives or in others, but to really pray for that gifting of the gift of discernment so we can see beyond the outward appearance so that things can be revealed to us so we and the church isn't taken advantage of by fake, false believers. The disciples had no clue who Judas was. And many times we don't have any clue who the Judas is today either. We need to pray for discernment that the Lord would give it to us so that we wouldn't be taken advantage of. But you know, the early church didn't know either. The early church, so you remember we were introduced when we were studying through the book of Acts, a man by the name of Ananias, his wife was Sapphira. They were so impressed by Barnabas when he sold a piece of property and he decided to give all the proceeds to the church. Whatever happened there, they saw that and they too sold a piece of property. And they had all the proceeds. And they decided to give half of the proceeds to the church. That's pretty significant. I mean, you think about it in your own life. You have a house or you have a rental house or something and you decide to sell it. And you take all the equity and all the profit that you made and you and your family just decide, you know, we're going to give half to the Lord. I mean, that's pretty serious and significant. Uh, And that's a big step for someone to do. And there was no problem with them choosing to give half. That wasn't the problem. The problem was this. They chose to give half to the church, but told the church, the leaders of the church, that they gave it all. So they were lying. They didn't have to lie. They could have just said, here's half of our, but maybe the pressure of Barnabas and what they were doing, and they wanted the kind of esteem that Barnabas got, and they didn't want to give up everything. They just were rotten in their motives. And nobody knew. Nobody would know. What they would see is Barnabas giving proceeds. They would see Ananias giving proceeds. And the church could rejoice of such great giving and an overflow of giving. But God knew. God knew. And he revealed that to Peter. Because Peter called him out. He says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And of course, the penalty for them in that moment, well, first it was the husband, then the wife came in later, could have, could have easily told the truth, but they both received the same penalty because they both lived the same lie and they died on the spot. Aren't you glad God doesn't deal with us like that now? I mean, seriously. We think of Ananias and Sapphira. Well, I would never do that. Well, there's plenty of things that we would do that put us in the same category. And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ took the penalty of my sins upon the cross. And God deals with us in grace today. It wasn't just in the early church. We've had false believers and false people among us from the history of those that follow God. You think all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua, the children of Israel delivered from bondage in Egypt, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses dies. Joshua comes on. He becomes the leader. He leads the nation across the Jordan and they have great victory at Jericho. And and the victory was amazing because the victory came by some weird military strategy. How will we win? Well, just march around the walls. Seven, you know, for seven days on the seventh day watch around seven times and then yell that's how you're going to win okay Joshua and they did it and what happened victory because victory came they were learning the lesson that victory will come by the Lord not just by military strategy not just by strong people fighting that your victory and mine will come by trusting in the Lord We look to him for direction. He will lead us. So great victory. They go into Ai. God doesn't give the same destruction this time. But we don't know what God's instruction was in particular of how to take Ai because there's never any indication that they sought the Lord about it. They just came from victory, went into Ai. But one of the things the children of Israel were told is that when you have a victory, you don't keep anything that you get. It all belongs to the Lord. 
You don't keep anything, any of the spoils, anything that comes from victory, it belongs to the Lord. So they did know that. They went into Ai and they were soundly defeated and they lost a few lives. They come back from that victory and Joshua's all tore up. He's just messed up over. He doesn't want to lose his men. He doesn't know, understand why they're, you know, it's his first defeat. He doesn't understand. And the Lord speaks to him. And this is where we get our phrase, there's sin in the camp. Because there was sin in the camp. Because among the entire men that went to fight, there was one that decided that he was going to take a few things for himself. And he stole a few things. They, they appealed to him. He liked them. He took them. He went and buried them under his tent. That's a good place for him. Dig a deep, deep hole and bury them under your tent. There's some indication from the story, we don't know for sure, that his family was cooperative with this. We don't know for sure, but because they suffered the consequences as well, it seems, it leads me to believe that they also knew that he was hiding things under a tent. And so Joshua, he gets inside, he goes and he calls the people together. And family, tribe by tribe, family by family is narrowed down to finally Achan is sitting there with his family where now he finally confesses, but then it's too late. He too loses his life over faking sincerity and faking the reality, trying to hide his sin. Listen, there's a spiritual principle here that's very important that we grasp. Whether it's Ananias and Sapphira, whether it's Judas, whether it's Achan, listen, try as we might, a Christian cannot hide their sin. It is not possible. There is no such thing as secret sin. You can dig the deepest hole and bury it in concrete and it will not be hidden you, you can run as fast as you can and you can spread lies and you can clear your browser history and you can do all sorts of things. But listen, it is not hidden. It's been said, and I believe it to be true, that hidden sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. You're not pulling anything over on God. We're not hiding it from God. With every what we might call hidden sin... It might be hidden from other people, like right now. And, and I know I'm speaking to a few of you. I'm speaking to some that are on the radio right now or might be watching on television or even here in our building that you believe that your sin is hidden. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. Because with your sin, even though we don't know, I can say this with absolute certainty, there's at least two people that know about your sin. You and God. Just like there are two people in the room with Jesus right now that know about Judas. Jesus and Judas. And just like I was raising my kids, this is a principle that I use raising my kids. Now they're into adulthood, but it's also a principle that I abide by in my own life. And I've taught you many times. In my life, I would much rather live with the consequences of obedience than to live with the consequences of disobedience. Yeah, we need to make the hard decision and deal with the difficulty of it, then we need to make the hard decision and deal with the difficulty. But I'll tell you what, if you don't make the hard decision and deal with the difficulty, and you try to hide it, and you try to, to you know, make sure nobody knows, and it's no big deal, and you know, maybe God doesn't know, and I don't think, and you rationalize it, and, and I'm telling you, when you do come clean, it's going to be very difficult. Because I've seen, I've been around ministry long enough serving with people that unfortunately they've tried to hide things. If you're one of those that have tried to hide things, let me tell you, Sin is, hidden sin is always revealed at the worst possible time. You can't control it. You, you can't control when you get exposed. You can't control when it comes out. And it always occurs at the worst possible time. 
Turn your Bibles, would you please, to Numbers chapter 32. I want you to see this in your own scriptures. Judas sitting at the table with the other 11, about to bring them great pain, thinks he's hiding things, but he's not. He knows of his evil, and so does Jesus Christ. And you and I, we simply cannot hide our sin. Dig a hole as deep as you'd like. Try as much as you'd like to run or to cover or to make excuses. But this truth in Numbers chapter 32 is true for all of us. That's why when Timothy receives a letter from Paul, and he's given instruction from Paul on how to find spiritual leaders in the church, he tells him in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the very first category, he says, when you're looking for elders and you're looking for leaders in the church, find them, find them with character and reputation that's above reproach. Now, we don't use that phrase much these days, but it simply means a life above accusation. Because accusations will come. But when you and I live above reproach, when we choose to live a life that's open and it's clear, not, not a perfect life, Certainly, we all have our stumbles and we all make our sinful mistakes. We all say dumb things and do dumb things and, and we can repent and recover from those. But when we try to hide, the Bible says you won't prosper. You won't make it. And here the Bible warns us. Notice Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Mark it, circle it, put a star next to it, memorize it, let the Holy Spirit use it in your life. Numbers 32, verse 23. If you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure, you might want to circle those words, be sure your sin will find you out. Wow. The Bible personifies sin for a moment for us, with the idea that it's chasing you down to find you out. That hidden sin. You be sure that sin will find you out. It doesn't say that God will find you out. He already knows. It doesn't have the picture of God choosing, following you around, or spiritual leaders or pastors following you around to try to catch you. It's not like, not some private investigator. The, the sin itself will manifest itself in a corrupt, evil way at the worst possible time. And friends, the Bible says you can be sure of this. You can be sure. In another place, the Bible says, for there is nothing hidden. This is Mark's gospel, chapter 4, verse 22. There is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret that it should not come to light. Here's one of the dangers with such a loving, gracious God who loves us so much he would send his own son to die on our behalf. Some of you, in hiding sin, you think, well, hiding it is God approving of it. Because, you know, I haven't suffered judgment yet. You know, the Bible says, if I sow to the flesh, I'll reap corruption. But I haven't reaped any corruption yet. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but I haven't really experienced any bad things. It feels like I'm hiding it and getting away with it. No, no, no. It hasn't been revealed yet. That's a key word, yet. And because God has been gracious with you, and because God has been patient with you, please, friends, never confuse the gracious patience of God as approval. It's not. God is being gracious. He's waiting. God is being gracious. He wants you to come clean. God is being patient. He wants you to deal with it, especially you believers. He wants you to deal with things in totality. He wants you to do the right thing. Even though it may suffer some consequences, he wants you to do the right thing. It'll be much better than having it revealed. 
It's important that we're extra careful not to play games with God or to fake sincerity with God because God will not be fooled. It's so easy to be self-deceived into thinking that what is done in secret will remain in secret. Or as we'll see in a moment, when Judas got up, at, at the end of verse 30, where he saw when Judas got up, it was night. Instructive. And a lot of bad things happen at night, don't they? And we have a lot of police officers and friends in our church. And they'll tell you, man, at night it gets crazy. Because you think in the cover of night, you just get away with everything. But you can't. Jot it down. Let me read to you another passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. And just jot it down. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That's a truth. Because you haven't got caught, people that don't get caught continue to do bad things. But for the believer, the instant you sin, you are caught. You're caught by the Holy Spirit. You're caught by your own knowledge, your own action. You're caught. But you're self-deceived into thinking you're not. Please be careful. Don't get into that stuff. You can't hide it. It's going to come out. It's going to be the worst possible time. It's going to do the worst damage than you just repenting, stopping, and getting things right with the Lord. Stay in word. Stay in prayer. Stay in that place, as we'll see in chapter 15, abiding in Jesus. You're not getting away with anything. And most likely, you're damaging the people around you like Judas is. Bringing that kind of sin into the camp and causing, you know, people are falling by left and right going, what's going on? Well, there's sin in the camp. There's a leader or a pastor. There's, a, there's somebody serving in the ministry somewhere or just a believer that's calling Calvary their home that aren't, isn't serious about the things of God. And, and we all suffer as a consequence because we're the body of Christ. We're interconnected. Jesus now notice in verse 31, he says, so when he had gone out, this is speaking of Judas, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. You know, the suffering of Jesus Christ, really what Jesus is saying, looking to the cross, remember he's under the shadow of the cross, it's right up ahead. Jesus is saying the suffering, of, uh, the suffering he's going to experience is where the glory of God will shine. The intensity of pain and the intensity of anguish and emotion that's just up ahead for Jesus will bring about the great, wonderful glory of God on the earth. And indeed, you and I are, benefit, we, we are benefactors of that. We are experiencing the benefits of the glory of God upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus has given this all to them, man. It's all constantly going, going, and he's going to continue these teachings. Now, he turns his attention in verse 33. He shifts a little bit, and he uses the phrase, little children, now, just understand, he's talking to grown men here. Uh, hardy men, fishermen, you know, zealots. Men that, that are, you know, that, that would, you know, you don't call them little kids. But this is in the Greek a term, or in Aramaic as well, a term of endearment. He is shifting gears a little bit and speaking in words of love softly. I'm only going to be with you a while longer. You're going to seek me, and I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come, so I'm telling you now as well. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Guys, I just want you to know I'm leaving, and it's going to greatly stumble you. You're going to look for me and you're not going to be able to find me. 
I'll be buried in a tomb. And, and I've been telling everybody this for a while, but I just want you guys to know I'm not going to be here, Jesus says. But understand, I'm giving you a new commandment. Do you see that in verse 34? It's not a new suggestion. It's not a new option. This is a new commandment. This new commandment is, I want you to love one another. In your challenge, in your hurt, in your crisis, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. This, you know, he says it's a new commandment, but in their ears, it's not necessarily new. This command to love your neighbor as yourself, this command to love in the name of God, this command to love in expectation of Messiah, it isn't new. According to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 is just one example where the Bible says in Leviticus, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. It's not new. So what exactly is new about the command that Jesus gives? Well, notice it's, it's this. It's these four words here. Really five words in verse 34. As I have loved you. That's what's new. That's what's different. I want you guys to love one another as I've given you the example. He just washed their feet moments earlier, giving him these instructions. He was just betrayed. The beginning of the betrayal took place. He, his heart is going out to his disciples. You guys are going to be hurt. I'm leaving. You're going to look for me. You can't find me. It's going to be troubling. It's going to be the biggest crisis in your life is just up ahead. And here's what I want. My final words, I want you to love one another. That's how people are going to know you're my disciples. That's how they're going to know. By your love for one another. That's what's the new part of the commandment. That's what's new to them. The love of Jesus. You know, we all define love differently. And express loves in different ways to different people. However, the, Jesus, the love that Jesus desires to flow through our lives is marked by his example. His sacrificial love. The love that he demonstrated. You know, if people didn't want anything to do with him in love, he let them go. Even to his own great pain. Uh, those that would crucify him from the cross, you'd say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those that didn't want relationship with him, he continued to love them, waiting for them to change. He was, his love came at great personal cost. Great personal sacrifice. It was a love that was unconditional. It was a love that came from the Father through him. And the newness of this love for him and for them and for us, this newest commandment, is that we're to love people in a way that costs us. That we're to express love in a way, you know, because at the end he says, they're going to know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And the church is like, like, missed this. The church now wants to be known by the biggest this and the largest crowd and the biggest this and look at what we're doing. And look, that's not how we are distinguished in the world. The distinguishing mark is the kind of love that flows unconditionally. The world loves conditionally. Hey man, if they're for you, great. If, you, if they're against you, man, that's not good. They, they love in ways that is conditional upon performance. Jesus loves in ways where he performed, where he gave himself, where he sacrificed. The love of the world is what do you have for me, then I'll give you what I have. The love of Jesus Christ is what I have, I will give unto you. Yeah, but it's going to cost you, I know. And that's to be among us. It starts in the church. 
Thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You'll find us on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. It's there you can replay any program you enjoy. We've also made it super easy to donate to the ministry through our website and contact us, too. Speaking of which, we'd sure like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of our current study and if you're finding these daily studies helpful to your walk. We'd also very much appreciate your support as we present Abounding Grace here over the radio and Internet. Again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Today, we want to suggest a book that can help take your prayer life up to the next level. It's E.M. Bounds on Prayer. These reflections on prayer have been treasured for well over a hundred years. When you read about the powerful ways God works through prayer, you'll understand why this book has been so well-received. We'll send you a copy of E.M. Bounds on Prayer as our thank you for your donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you next time. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.